0: Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible Talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus,
1: by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Friends, God in His kindness has left us with the book of Psalms in our Bibles, 150 songs or poetry for the people of God to meditate on. So our words to God, but still God's word to us. Our songs to God, yet also songs for us from God to help us through the ups and downs of our life, our Christian journey. A playlist of emotions to cry out to our Creator, to our Redeemer, as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus. Well, today we open Psalm 148, and we get to join with all the creation and all the angels, and we sing of God's goodness and wonder. So let's be refreshed uh, by hearing Cherub read this psalm to us. Psalm 148, verses 1 to
0: 14 sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven, He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord.
1: Remember Psalms 146 and 150 that we're looking at in this series, they all start and end with the words praise the Lord or the Hebrew for Hebrew readers. Hallelujah. Five joyous songs to bring the book five of Psalms to a close. Five praise songs to help us really raise our vision from earth to heaven to lift our eyes off ourselves and onto God. Remember, we've looked at already Psalm 146, individual praise, my soul, praise the Lord. Psalm 147, congregational praise, all Israel, praise the Lord. Today, Psalm 148, all creation, praise the Lord. Next time, Psalm 149, kingdom, praise the Lord, rules over all. And then finally, Psalm 150, heavenly praise, let everything with breath, praise the Lord. Psalm 148, is a praiseology. It's a study of praise. Twelve times the verb turns up and one time the noun. Praise him. Lift your voice, your vision towards your creator. All creation, sing your song of adoration. Celebrate the heavens and the earth and the one responsible for both. Now if you're into ologies, there's lots of them in this psalm. It begins with cosmology, then marine biology, meteorology, geomorphology, dendrology, zoology, anthropo- ontho- ontology, uh, entomology, geography, sociology, anthropology, and it ends with doxology, the praising of God to wrap it all up. In other words, the unknown, unnamed psalmist is telling us there's nobody or nothing across the entire cosmos That does not owe to God their adoration, their praise, their worship. Blind singer Ginny Owens sings, Oh, what a wonderful wonder, a display of great beauty and power. The ever-quotable Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes, Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. By grace we learn to sing, and in glory we continue to sing. Well, this psalm, this poem, breaks neatly into two sections. Verses 1 to 6, singing up there in the heavens, and then verses 7 to 12, singing down here on earth. Verses 1 to 2, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all you angels, praise him all you heavenly hosts. It's like the psalmist is saying, hey guys, you need a bit of help if you're going to rightly praise God. Your praise and worship is not really enough when it comes to singing to the God of this universe. We need the choir to swell a little bit if we're to do justice to the adoration of God as our Creator. For He deserves more than human praise. We need the help of the angels in heaven to really praise Him. As we sing our song down here, up there, the heavenly hosts, give the boost that our choir really needs. Verses 3 to 4 show us the heavenly bodies, the stars, the moon, the planets, even poor old Pluto, which was a planet when I was growing up and it's been relegated to the backbench. They all lift their voice to praise the creator, their creator. Remember in ancient times the nations would look to the stars and the moon and the planets and they ended up worshipping them as if they had some power and authority over them, you know, the sun gods, the rain gods, the weather gods, the cloud gods, as if they're divine and hold our destinies in place. Now of course we're a lot more sophisticated than the ancients, aren't we? I mean we don't worship chunks of rock in the sky or balls of fire shooting around. Uh, We don't have people writing horoscopes and looking up star signs, do we? We're way too sophisticated for that. Instead, we choose to worship sport or science or technology. We end up praising the wonders of mankind, the inventions and social achievements. Glory to man in the highest is how the Australian psalm book begins and ends. Yet the Bible will have none of this stupidity or folly. Where to praise the Creator, never the creation. Where to worship the Maker of man, and never mankind. No matter how brilliant we might be at music or sport or acting or academia or writing or speaking or medicine or technology or whatever. Where to lift our hands and our voices to our Heavenly Father rather than worshipping Mother Nature or Father Time and all the other poor substitutes we use to fill the void once we foolishly remove God out of the picture. The lyrics, I think, of Rich Mullins are spot on. He sings, They said, just follow your heart, but my heart just led me into my chest. They said, follow your nose, But the direction changed every time I went and turned my head. Instead, I will worship the Father of hearts and the Maker of noses. You see, the deceit of the human heart, the delusion of sin, means that our praise and our worship is so corrupted. So often we take the gifts of God and we end up worshipping them. So we take the wonder of the beauty of a national park or the magnificence of a whale or the splendour of the stars, and they seem to take priority sometimes over a nation's GDP, or feeding and housing the poor, or giving aid overseas. So we take the beauty of the female form, we strip her naked and we worship porn and the fashion industry. We take the strength of man and we put more steroids into his bloodstream, and we worship sport and, and the body. We take the creativity of an artist, we put them on a pedestal and we listen to what they have to say about all sorts of life issues that they've got no idea about or expertise in and we call them influencers. See, the deceit of the human heart, the delusion of sin means that our praise, our worship is so corrupted, so diabolical, so misplaced and pagan, so devilish. The world can simply be divided into two. Uh, Worshippers of God, the Creator, or worshippers of something else. Tim Keller wrote, Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. For we all worship something, or somebody, or self. We're made to worship, but so often it's not our Creator, it's the creation. Remember Psalm 147? Uh, We so often put our praise in the strength of the horse, in the legs of a man. Remember Psalm 146, don't put your trust in princes, in people. Well, verses 5 to 6 points again to our Creator and His hand of order and authority and sovereignty over the entire creation. He commands and His creation comes into being. By His word, the heavens and the earth are formed and He establishes order and stability So God gives us science to observe and study the world around us and the sky above us and the sea below us. We have snowflakes the same, but each one different. Insects are insects, but around 900,000 species of them, which might be the number of mozzies buzzing around you in Malaysia or the number of cockroaches in your Queensland home. And God makes all the humans the same, but no two people are identical. The Aussie author uh, Chris Watkins puts it like this, God made a riotous universe of fabulous functionality and super-abundant systematicity, a perfect marriage between a tie-dye bohemian artist and a round-spectacled, besuited uh, mathematician. And from Genesis 1 to Psalm 148, we have a cosmos, not a chaos, We have beauty and order and symmetry and creativity. And to God, our Creator, we're to lift our praise and adoration. He gave a decree. He established the universe. Let them praise the name of the Lord. So verses 1 to 6, the song of praise happening up there in the heavens. And of course it takes eyes of faith to see and ears of faith to hear. It takes a certain amount of humility to tune our ear to this heavenly choir. And then the psalmist comes down to earth and we hear him singing of praise down here. So verses 7 to 12 could well be a retelling of Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. Just like we need help from the heavenly hosts to praise God, so we need the assistance of the creation choir to rightly give our Maker all the praise He's due. So 23 different citizens are given a seat in this psalm, in this creation choir. 23 different voices shout their hallelujahs. The sea and the elements, the trees, your garden... Massive beasts like the elephant, the rhino, the giraffe. On the farm it's the cattle, the sheep, the llama, the chooks, the rabbits, the kangaroos, the wombats, if they avoid roadkill. From the insects, the bull ant, the blowflies, bumblebees, magnificent birds, the eagle, the emu, the emperor penguin. They all tune their voices and they sing to their creator. There's nothing in all of creation that does not bear witness to its creator. God is, after all, the owner of his creation. Remember, the cattle on a thousand hills, all that's in the sea and in the sky above. So one outworking of this, I think, is for us to be good stewards and trustees over God's estate. But how does the cow sing, How Great Thou Art? How does a stormy wind praise its maker? How does a fruit tree lift its voice to the Lord? How does the magpie sing a song of adoration? Well, by doing what God designs them to do, by fulfilling his word, his divine intention of their function, which I think raises another application, another warning about not interfering with what God has designed. So muck around too much with his creation and you might just get unexplained viruses or catastrophic bushfires or ice caps melting or deformities at birth. But how does a creation sing praises to its maker? Well, the cow sings to God by giving us milk or a T-bone steak. The cyclone sings to its maker by blowing its guts out. My mulberry tree praises God by producing mulberries, and hopefully lots of them. The magpie sings to God with its magnificent bird calls and by swooping unexpected cyclists. See, the creation praises its maker according to its nature by doing what it's designed to do by the creator, by fulfilling his word, and so God is glorified. The songwriters uh, Keith and Kirsten Getty get it right. Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day till evening comes in crimson rays his fingerprints in flakes of snow, his breath upon this spinning globe. He charts the eagle's flight and commands the newborn baby's cry. Hallelujah, let all creation stand and sing. Hallelujah, fill the earth with songs of worship. Tell the wonders of creation's king. The Aussie band Sons of Korah also do a great job singing Psalm 148, as does uh, the uh, musicians from Sovereign Grace. Listen out for the creation choir next time you're in your garden or you're bushwalking or you're skiing or you're surfing or you're cooking a steak on the barbecue. And praise the Creator for His creation. The creation is never made to be worshipped. Creation is made to give praise to God. And then from verses 11 to 12, the creation choir is joined by all of humanity, no matter what status, so kings and queens, presidents and prime ministers, all peoples, commoners, like you and me, unless of course you're related to a Tongan king or an Ethiopian princess, no matter what gender, men and maidens. No matter what age, young and old, kids and babies, even that strange beast, the teenager, we all have an obligation, a duty, a command to sing this song of adoration to our Creator. Humanity is to fill the choir stalls, join in harmony with the angels and with the creation choir. Not that we see this exactly happening right now, I think this is one of those now-but-not-yet moments the Bible hints at. For every knee does not yet bow before the throne of Jesus. Every tongue does not yet sing praise him all you creatures here below. Every race and every language does not yet shout hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. It's a now-but-not-yet verse, a broken, incomplete hallelujah chorus. But one day, all heaven and earth will sing. One day every knee will bow, willingly or unwillingly. One day the sun of Psalm 2 will be kissed and the Lord's name will be praised. North Korean dictators, African rogue leaders, atheistic prime ministers, pagan presidents, Muslim princes, uh, princes tyrant kings. This song of adoration will one day rise to the Lord God of the universe. A great song, a great choir, a great day. Praise happening up there, praise happening down here, but the hymn of praise gets even closer to home for you and me. Listen again to verses 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his majesty is above the earth and heaven, he has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all of his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. You see, up to this point in the Psalm, in this song, uh, the people of God are in the audience, as it were. Here's this heavenly host singing away. Here's the creation choir in harmony, but now the people of God file into the choir stalls. And the people of God, ancient Israel, and now Christians. We join this choir with all the voices of verses 1 to 12, to praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, for his majesty is above earth and the, above the earth and the heavens. It's only when we realise the power of God, the majesty of God, the wisdom and intelligence of God, the beauty and wonder of God, all these aspects of our Creator, it's only when we realise that he holds galaxies in his hand, that there are no mysteries for him, From the microbiology of a living cell to the psychology of the human mind, God's got PhDs and academic medals in every field. In fact, he wrote all the textbooks as well. It's only when we realise that his splendour and his majesty is over the entire planet and universe, even Tasmania, that he's the uncontested sovereign, that he's above and beyond nature and time, that he's the author of all physics and chemistry and biology laws, that nothing's impossible for him, which is why miracles come from his hand. It's only when we realise all these things will we see that God alone is worthy of our praise and song, that he alone deserves our songs of adoration, our allegiance, our true worship. No one puts it better, I think, than the lyrics of Adam Young of Owl City when he sings Galaxies. Dear God, I was terribly lost when the galaxies crossed and the sun went dark. But dear God, you're the only north star I would follow this far. O telescope, keep an eye on my only hope lest I blink and get swept off the narrow road. Hercules, you got nothing to say to me, because you're not the blinding light that I need, for he is the saving grace of the galaxies. One Australian photographer captures the essence of Psalm 148 brilliantly through his lens is the Christian man Ken Duncan. His vision statement says to show, he takes photos, to show the beauty of God's creation. Well, the psalm ends with the final reason for us to sing in praise, and it's in verse 14, because he's raised up a horn for his people. Now, it seems a strange way to end the song, but it makes perfect sense when, once we understand what this horn is all about. Now, don't think car horns or jazz trumpets or stag horns or musical instruments. Think more about animals with horns. So the deer, the rhino... Uh, I am the walrus. And how, think how these horns, the, the horns that they wear, they represent power and dominion and glory for that animal. They're a, they're a chief means of attack and defense for these animals. And across the Bible, the horn is often the symbol of royal dignity and power and honor and strength. And all that's on display now as God raises up a horn for his people. From praising God for his creative power and majesty, now the psalmist invites us to praise God for his redeeming power toward his people. And look at the way this psalm, this redemption, this salvation is played out in verse 14. Praise him for all his saints, for, all, for, for the people of Israel who are near to him. This cosmic creator, this God of the universe, draws near to his people. Now, in the Old Testament context, God draws near through the prophets, through Moses, through other deliverers that God raises up. He draws near in temple worship, the cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and through angelic appearances and so forth. What a great privilege and honour to have the God of verses 1 to 12 of this psalm come near to his ancient people and dwell with them. But how much more is it a joy and an honour, To describe our relationship with this Creator, with this cosmic Creator, in the words, God came near, God dwells in us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Zechariah in the New Testament, he he got it right in Luke chapter 1 when he cries out, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited, he has redeemed his people, for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Here, my friends, is our gospel glimpse in Psalm 148. The creator God comes near to ancient Israel, and the same creator has come near to you and me, the horn, the ruler, the lion of Judah from the house of David. Salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can now sing our praise for creation, but also for redemption, for our salvation. One final thing about this great psalm. Did you realise that it's missing one last stanza? It's not the fault of the psalmist or the Bible publishers. It's just, it just needs a second edition, which I think the New Testament provides for us in the words of Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before everything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So this coming week, will you raise your voice and your vision to praise God for his creation and for his Christ, who holds you and me together because of his great Redeeming love. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ.